Well, if you'll take a copy of God's Word and turn to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, as we continue our series on this fantastic book, continuing our text from last week, it will pick up in in verse um, 5, but to give us some context, I want to read Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this fantastic text and the many truths that it contains. As it points us to Jesus and what he did for us. Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would make uh, this passage clear to us in this time, that you might renew our minds, that you might transform us, that we might become more like our Savior. Proudly sayings in the name of Jesus, amen. During the long days of uh, the German occupation of Denmark during World War II, the people of that country knew great hardship. The Nazis were not exactly the nicest of occupiers, perhaps rivaling the Romans in their brutality. The Jews suffered greatly at the hands of the Nazis in that country. But through all those long, dark years, the people of Denmark had one shining star of hope and joy. See, every day, their king, King Christian X, A man who by right could have stayed behind the palace walls, been served throughout the day by servants, and never seen anybody, any of his subjects. King Christian X, he humbled himself. And once a day he would put on his military uniform, he would get on a horse, and he would leave the bodyguards, he would leave his guards behind him at the palace, and he would ride through the streets of Copenhagen, alone. And in those dark, hard days, with his people under such opposition, under such a heavy hand, they could see their king riding through the streets, and they would be reminded of who they are, and given a little glimmer of hope. All because King Christian X humbled himself He left aside the retinue and the pomp and circumstance that was due his name. He rode in sight of all the German enemy and his oppressed people alike. Well, there was another king who came. 
A king who stepped out of the glory of his palace walls, leaving aside the the glory that was due his name and his position because he too loved and cared for his people. And like the Danes, his people were under oppression. Oppression ultimately by the Romans and then finally under the greater bondage of sin. This king would humble himself too, that he might be identified with his people, that he might be seen by them, that he might do battle with the enemy. And just like the Danes, they looked at King Christian X and received joy. If we look to our humble king, we receive not only joy, but also salvation. See, last week in verses 1 through 4, we we saw that Paul calls the Philippians, and therefore us, he calls us to live a humble life, a life that looks not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others, as we count others as more significant than ourselves. There are lots of great reasons to do this, and we discussed many last week, but the best reason, the most significant reason, and the reason that Paul gives us in verses 5 through 11 this morning is that this is what Jesus did. This is what the King of glory, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, that he would humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so Paul's point in this passage is, if Jesus, who is God, would humble himself in such a a radical way, how could we not humble ourselves before God and others. This is perhaps one of the most famous texts of all of Scripture. Um, it is a very significant one, and it's one that I come to with fear and trembling. I've always wanted to preach this text, but it's, but it's one that with so many deep theological truths, such great deep mysteries, that certainly we prayerfully want to make sure we don't fall into error on one side or the other as we consider the majesty of our Savior, the majesty that he experienced in heaven and then humbling himself and then when he is re-exalted on high. This text probably was a Christian hymn or creed before Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians. He most likely co-opted it for his purposes. It is scripture. I don't mean that it's not. It certainly is. But it is most likely a creed that would have been on the lips of perhaps even the Philippian Christians as folks asked them, what do you believe? Much like we have the Apostles' Creed, they could go into this litany or sing this hymn to tell others exactly what they believed about what Christ had done for them. And, And through his humility, we can have salvation. Well, we'll look at this passage in three different phases or three different stages, as you'll see on your outline. The first is that Christ had a pre-existence. He is eternal God. He is God himself. And and so the second is the fact that he would humble himself and what he did on the cross for us. And then thirdly and finally, we look at how Christ was exalted and how he sits on high with the Lord in heaven waiting for his return. Well, Verse 6 tells us that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, had always existed. Lest we think that with the virgin birth and that suddenly uh, the second person of the Trinity came into being, we learn in Scripture from the hands of the writers like John 
and the writer of the Hebrews and other places, that Jesus had an existence before he was born in this world. When we speak of, of someone humbling themselves, when we think of, of, of we as, as humble creatures, when we act humbly, when we have humility, we are acting like who we actually are. But when we think about, when we, when we talk about the Son of Man humbling himself, he humbled himself from a, an exalted position. He humbled himself from the exalted position he'd always had in heaven for all of eternity past. At no point in his humiliation, no point in his time on earth did our Savior lose his divinity. But it was different. It was different in that he did not experience, he did not experience the glory that was due his name. We read in scripture, in John 1, 1 to 2, that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We also learn that through the second person of the Trinity, he made everything. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John 5, uh, verse thir- uh, 858, excuse me, John 858 tells us that the God who spoke to Moses in the burning bush, that this was the very God who walked on earth that we call Jesus. Hebrews 1, 3 tells us, that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Lest we think we can fully comprehend the mystery of the Trinity, think about this that even when Christ was on earth walking with his disciples, being crucified with Christ, even then the second person of the Trinity was upholding the universe by the word of his power. Such mysteries, such glory that we bow before and humble ourselves as we think about the fact that our Savior is God. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. He is the one who appeared in Moses in the burning bush. And, and then he would, uh, he, before that, he, he divided the Red Sea and later he would appear at Sinai and he would drive out the, the, the people of Canaan and he would eventually come and die on the cross for us. See, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, could have maintained his position and experience of glory and never humbled himself, but he did. And we ought to be exceedingly glad for our salvation is based upon what he did for us and the time in, we, in which he humbled himself. Have you been watching the Olympics lately? Um, I saw somebody this morning on their phone with the Olympics right before Sunday school. Uh, I won't say who it was. Um, but, uh, you know, the thing is about the Olympics are fun to watch. This week, this week at the Olympics, um, we saw Michael Phelps hit his, what, 20th or 21st gold medal? I can't remember. 23? Oh, I, I haven't been watching. I got tired of watching this, the swimming. I'm sorry. Uh, we get one NBC channel, and it's the swimming channel, apparently. Uh, so he got his 23rd Olympic or gold medal. Now here's the thing. Did, did you see it when Chad DeClos, I don't know how you pronounce his name, when he was trying to taunt uh, Michael Phelps? Of all the people, don't taunt Michael Phelps. You know, if you were to carry all of his Olympic medals around your neck, you couldn't stand up. Don't taunt this man. And so he was doing a boxing routine right in front of him and, and dancing. And, you know, he was really trying to get in his head. But do you know what happened when it came time to race? Phelps got number one. And Chad DeClaw got number four. 
See, there's a difference between being humbled and being humiliated. <laughs> when we think about our Savior, he willingly humbled himself. Now, Chad DeClos, he was humiliated. And not only that, but Michael Phelps held up his finger and waved it in his face as to say, no, 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 no. He was involuntarily humiliated, but, but not our Savior. When we think about all the things that our Savior went through on earth, it was all very much voluntary. He did it with an aim. He did it with a purpose. He did it because he loves us. There are seven steps to Christ's humbling himself in our text. They're contained in 6b through 8. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. We see first that he did not count equality a thing to be grasped. Now this did not mean that he stopped being God. Let's be very clear on that. But what it does mean is that he would set aside the prerogative to his name. That unlike our our first father and, and mother, Adam and Eve, who sought to cling to, to grasp, to rob equality with God. They wanted to be equal with him. This is why they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But our Savior, the second person of the Trinity who is God and and is equal with God, he was not worried. He was not worried for a time to set aside the glory that was due his name. See, he made himself nothing. The Greek literally says he emptied himself. Once again, it doesn't mean that he lost his divinity. Even upon the cross, our Savior is God, which is necessary for our salvation, by the way. He made himself nothing, and it's not that he lost his attributes. He could not stop being all-present or all-knowing or all-powerful because these are the very characteristics of God. But when he joined to himself a, a human nature, in his human nature, he was exceedingly humble. He took upon himself our sin. You think about this. Here is the lawgiver. Here is the one who appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai and wrote the law. Here is the one the law reflects. And yet now the lawgiver is the one who is condemned by the law. Not justly for his own actions. Not because of his own sin. But because he took our sin upon himself. Here is the lawgiver paying the penalty for lawbreakers like you and me. He made himself nothing. He gave up the riches of his glory, the riches that were due his name, even as we read earlier in our, before the, the offering, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Can you imagine living in a $100 million penthouse in Manhattan and then moving to the Kabira slums of Nairobi? I've seen these things. And they make you weep just thinking about it. One to two million people live in a place where everybody lives under a dollar a day. You can smell this thing miles away. You don't have to see it. You just get close enough and you know you're near. 
Imagine moving from the penthouse suite to the Kabira slums and this just pales in comparison to what our Savior did. Leaving the palace of heaven. The seraphim crying out continually, holy, holy, holy. To the people crying out, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. A servant does not his own will. He does the will of his master. He does the will of his Lord willingly. That's the difference between a a slave and a servant. He was a servant and he gave up his own prerogative to exercise his own will. John 5.30 tells us, I can do nothing of my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek out my own, excuse me, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He is the one who is master of all, and he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came and he washed the feet of his disciples, something that was so disgusting and so low that that only the lowliest of slaves, not even servants, slaves could be required to do this. He is Isaiah's suffering servant. Here is the king of glory. And yet we read in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He came to serve prideful people. People who did not deserve it. People like you and me. People who didn't even deserve his attention. Why? Because he loves us. And he came and he took on the likeness of men. I had a roommate, Dave McCool. He was Big Al. Uh, But you know, he's not, there's not just one person who's Big Al or a mascot for any major team. You have a whole team of mascots because it is exceedingly hot in there. And at a football game, 100 degree heat, you might have five or six people that serve as Big Al during a football game. They, they go in, go out, and get cool, and so they don't have a heat stroke. But I had, I had a friend who was Big Al. Now, the thing was, when he put on Big Al, we all knew that he wasn't really Big Al. It wasn't that big of a mystery to us. He remained Dave McCool, but he just had a costume on. Now, when... The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, came to earth. He didn't just put on a mask of humanity. It wasn't a costume. He took to himself a human nature. And even remains so now. 100% God and 100% man. He had to do this in order for us to be saved. Christ, a human, really had to die. A perfect human really had to die. But it had to be God. He had to be God because in order for his record of righteousness to be transferred to us, then he had to be 100% divine. But here's the thing, 100% God, 100% man, Savior, he humbled himself. Now this is kind of the umbrella for everything we're talking about, but let's take a minute to talk about why he would do this. Why would he go through all the trouble? Why would he go through all the suffering and all the pain? It was for a purpose. Not because we deserve it. Not because we earned it. Not because we could ever pay it back. Because out of his love, he sought to save his people. He died for his people. Everyone who would have picked up stones to stone him. He died for persecutors of the church like Paul who had approved the death of Stephen, 
And he even guarded the cloaks of those who killed him. He died for folks with dirty pasts, even those who think there's no way to be saved. He died for filthy, wretched people like you and me. He did this by becoming obedient unto death. How do we know he was humble? Just because his friends said so? We know he was humbled and he humbled himself because he died. He proved his humility. It was exhibited for all creation to see upon the cross. See, here was the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies. And he stood there while the whip of the cat of nine tails tore bone and muscle and flesh off his back. The creator who spoke the 300 sextillion stars into existence, he stood there speechless as they stripped him of his clothes and forced the crown of thorns upon his brow and mocked him. But he didn't just die. He died on a cross. This, this death was reserved for those who are not Roman citizens. This dirt was, death was re- reserved for those who had only done the most heinous things. For those whom the Romans wanted to make an example of. And as he hung there underneath that plaque that said, the king of the Jews, he died the death of a thousand deaths accursed by God, as the wrath of God was poured out on him, the wrath that you and I deserved. The physical death was bad, but the spiritual death was worse, as in his human nature, he was forsaken by God. That night that descended when the sun refused to shine was not nearly as dark as the blot of our sins that was placed upon him nor was it as heavy as the weight of God's wrath upon his shoulders. And this he did for you and for me. This he did for proud people, arrogant people like me and you. Here who is the one who could claim anything. Who when he speaks of himself, highly of himself, he is true and he is right. And yet he would not claim the prerogatives to his name. He would not claim his privilege but lay it all aside for people who deserve hell. This is our salvation. And we know it worked because on the third day, he was raised from the dead. See, we've seen his eternal presence with the Lord beforehand. He is God. And we've seen his humiliation, his his humbling of himself. But our text doesn't end there. Verse nine, we read, Therefore God has highly exalted on him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It is likely that this refers to the bestowal of the name Lord. He'd always been Lord, but now in a special sense, he reigns and rules. And one day when all is made right, he will hand his reign and rule back over to his father. But we remember from Matthew 28 how all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to him. He reigns now when the world is upside down, when we don't know what's going on, when things aren't going our way, in the midst of suffering and pain. Our exalted king 
He sits enthroned on high, reigning and ruling. And we know, we know he loves us. And we know he has our best interests in mind because he went so far as to step out of heaven into this world to die. And one day, one day, he will come and make all things right. Verses 10 and 11. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We don't know when he will come. We don't know when this will happen. And there's time now to be right with the Lord, to submit to him. But upon that day, when the trumpet sounds and the voice of the archangel is heard, and the clouds are peeled back like a scroll, it'll be too late. For at that day, every knee shall bow. The angels and the saints in heaven who have gone before us, all those on earth, both those who know Jesus and those who don't, and the demons and those who didn't know Jesus before they died in hell, will all recognize the lordship of Christ. And they will all confess that he is Lord. But only those who know the Lord will do so with joy. Everyone else will do it out of pain and sorrow. Do you know the Lord? Do you know this humble king? For just like King Christian X, he has left his palace walls. And those who look to him for salvation will not just know joy, but joy forever. An eternal life now and in the age to come. Do not wait. Do not tarry. Can you say with me, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and rejoice for the humility of our Savior. And we pray, O oh God, that you would humble us. What a scary prayer. That we would walk in humility before you and others. For you tell us that you give grace to the humble, but resist the proud. Resist us not, Lord. We thank you for the death of our Savior. For it is in Christ alone our hope is found, both in this life and the next. It is in his matchless name we ask it. Amen. We'll finish our um, service today with a hymn that is in the insert. In Christ alone, let's stand and sing. Yeah.
Turn and receive the Lord's benediction. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And all God's people said, amen.